Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, everybody. Tamara here, your host, innovation enabler, and the person who has the unbelievable job of interviewing everyday innovators from across the globe, sharing their insights with you. And hey, listen, if you're out there and you're listening to this, I know that you're also an everyday innovator. So if you're out there thinking, hey, you know what, Tamara, I think I have a story to share here. I got some innovative thinking, some bucket of status quo, big things, small things, whatever it is, go to our website, fill out, there's a nomination form. You can nominate yourself. You can nominate other people. We would love to hear from you. As you know, we have everyone from CEOs to leaders, to emerging leaders, to entrepreneurs, to freelancers, stay-at-home mom and dads. The common thread with all of us is everyday innovators, right? We're all looking to think differently and to go further faster and to kind of maybe differentiate ourselves and, and carve out a space for ourselves. So if that's you, get on the book, get on the show. And here's the other thing, and I've said this a few times now, but I think it it bears repeating. Let's say you're listening to this show and you're like, I'm getting a lot out of this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to scroll back and find one that almost doesn't speak to you immediately. Like, I don't have anything in common with this person. I don't know where this person's coming from. I bet you, you're going to find incredible insight out of it. Great innovation happens at the intersection of random. So what do you say we make some intersections happen today with our guest, Jessica? I'm so excited to have her. I met her at a conference, actually had the luxury of seeing her speak to an audience about a different topic than mine and was really excited about the work that she does and who she is. So let me tell you about her everyday innovator style because we were just talking offline about this is such a rare combination. It's so interesting. So Jessica is an experiential imaginative. Those are her two power triggers, her wellspring of innovation. The experiential side is all about innovation in motion, tangible. It's about getting things out of the head and into reality. In that reality, being able to really innovate in a very tangible, real-world way. And then the imaginative side, which is very different than this one, is all about the novel and the gaps. It's very much about the what if. In fact, it's about playing in the spaces that don't yet exist. So Jessica's got this cool combination of like, Hardcore tangible with new and what doesn't yet exist. So I can't wait to see how this comes up in our podcast, in our conversation. Jessica, I'm so excited that you agreed to be on the show. Welcome. Can't wait to share your brilliance with the world. Tell everybody who you are and what you do. Thank you, Tamara, for that great introduction. I'm equally as excited to be on this podcast today. I oversee corporate social responsibility for FCP Euro, which is headquartered in Connecticut, and we are an automotive aftermarket industry. So let me ask, what is a win or something that you're proud of? I would say recently, I am actually uh, in the final weeks of completing my master's degree in public administration and public policy. So how do you thank you? How do you take corporate social responsibility um, and the practice of trying to do better and move industry forward and actually put that into law? So really excited to be wrapping that up. And to have some time back. <laughs> yeah, right. I bet. I bet. I don't know how you're doing it. Let me ask you a question on that. Um, I think one of the key to being an innovator of any kind is growth and constantly developing. Now you're already successful in your career yet. You decided I'm going to go back and get my master's. Like I'm going to do this. I'm just curious what that process was like. Cause I think a lot of us, me included look at things I could do to improve myself 
And then I, here, here's the deal. Here's the truth, Jessica. Then I come up with the excuse of, I've already been in business for 20. Like, I know what I'm doing. Right. You know, like. <laughs> it is. And it, and it kind of, um, it comes to that catalyst point where you're moving forward in your career industry and you just feel like there's something missing. Um, so taking that something missing and actually putting it into action is, it took me about four or five years to really understand, okay, I knew I wanted to continue in my education, but to really hone in on something that would better not only my career, but my, my desire to learn uh, was, yeah. was absolutely critical. So that played a huge part in it. Um, I can guarantee you that I do not have the energy I did in my 20s when I was finishing my bachelor's. So it's been a lot, but the fact that I can use what I'm learning uh, directly applicable into my career path has been outstanding. So it's been a very rewarding process. I love what you just said about kind of figuring out what's missing. And that's a challenge I want to give all of us to say like what, not that you are missing as a person, but like what nuggets of wisdom, experiences, insights are you missing that maybe you could take some action on? Because that's the key, right? It's the taking action part. Right. What, can we share a story with us or something? I know you've got a million of them that you've done that's innovative or thinking differently to create a breakthrough. Sure. And I, and I love this question. Um, and I had to really think hard about, you know, really the, the innovation because so much of what I do, you kind of have to be. And that's where I love my innovator style is kind of trying to blend those two very different concepts together. So um, I was overseeing corporate social responsibility for Pratt & Whitney. Um, it's one of the largest um, aerospace uh, company in, in the world. And specifically within our Asia markets, where we had a large population of our employees, we found there was a huge disparity within rural youth of learning STEM. And there is a real need and still is for STEM and aerospace, um, aviation, military, so many different divisions are needing real good STEM um, candidates and they just have a shortage of it. So we realized there was this gap of they're just not getting the, the education that they needed. So we, with our Asia teams, built a um, almost a nationwide STEM expo mm-hmm. to where these students were, tra- cool. were, yeah, provided transportation into Shanghai and Beijing to attend these expos, actually meet some of the professors in the field. And then in turn, these professors would then travel once a week to um, multiple times throughout the year up to these more rural areas to educate students on STEM and give them access in the city um, educational facilities they worked out of to really get involved in STEM. So it was a really cool collaborative process with nonprofits, the education system, the government, because the Chinese government oversees education much more rigorously, um, and our company to be able to get that all together. So it was so cool to see it come to fruition. So I've got two, this is such a cool story, and I've got two questions for you. Question one is, how did you figure out this was a gap? And then question two is, is when you realized this and you decided, hey, I want to fill this gap, what was the process of getting buy-in for doing something I don't know if drastic is the right word, but big. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess this, my innovator style too, I'm, I'm loving that this very much ties into how I yeah. think through is that, okay, seeing the overall issue is that we have a gap in qualified candidates in the STEM field. So that's how so, it started. Yeah, that's how it started. Um, especially in our Asian markets, like we cannot fill jobs fast enough for what we need out there. Okay, so where's the gap? Okay, we don't have a big candidate pool. So then you start following the breadcrumb trail or the rabbit hole, if you will, because it ends up being a rabbit hole because there's so many other different factors. Okay, where does it really start? And then we're finding the really large rural population of Asia major um, doesn't have access to this education. And there's all these brilliant young minds that just need the resources. So then when you realize what the root causes of that, then you kind of start saying, okay, what key... 
um, partners do I need to kind of bring to the table and say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? How can we all collaborate together to solve a great a greater good? The more students that are educated, it's better for the economy, it's better for industry, better for the government as well too. Um, what funding do we need to do? What case do we have to make? And then that buying process happens in little pockets. I mean, it's really building those relationships. This took about a year to really get it off the ground. And then really getting everyone to have an equal voice in the partnership to be able to make it move forward. Oh my God, I'm so excited about this story. Okay, so first of all, congratulations on making that happen. That's It, has, it has benefits of, on all levels, which I think Absolutely. is really cool. Yeah. And but it's still an inflow um, at Pratt oh. Equal. Okay, that answers that question. Here. Yeah, yes. that's awesome. <laughs> So there's a couple of things that you said, though, that I think are really important. I just want to take a moment to pause on. One is you said you follow the breadcrumbs, right, to the root cause. I think oftentimes we solve what we think is the superficial issue, and then we don't solve it because we're not actually solving the right thing. And I think that story you just shared, if you are out there and dealing with worker shortages, having people not come into work on time, like all the issues that are happening with this, you know, worker issues that we're having, I would encourage you to do what Jessica did and actually follow some breadcrumbs and see what's really going on because you, you could have said, all right, we need more candidates. So we need to change some, like how we do look at resumes or how we, um, who we recruit with. But what you really realized is it wasn't, that wasn't the problem. The problem actually was 10 breadcrumbs over here that you needed to solve. Right. Right. Um, and that's just a natural curiosity. That's what it really comes down to. I have always been a curious individual. I mean, sometimes let's be honest in my youth, it got me in a little bit of trouble. Um, but all is resolved now, hopefully, at least as far as I know uh, tomorrow. But that curiosity is key. It's just you want to follow, you see where that trail leads. Um, and so it's it's a very challenging process, but it's so rewarding. You're like, huh, there's usually many root causes sometimes, but there's really one key focal one you can latch onto and help that carry through a mission. So that's absolutely brilliant. And and I'm going to go do that's going to be an exercise I'm going to do later. I'm going to, and some challenges I'm trying to solve. I'm going to follow some breadcrumbs down and see if I can find the root cause. And I hope everybody out there does that. And then the other thing you said that I just wanted to make sure we don't um, go over too quickly because I think it's so important is you said the buy-in happens in pockets. And I know I'm guilty of when I have something I want to push forward, I want it. I want all in immediately. And <laughs> yes. yeah. And then I get mad right when that doesn't happen. And and, and I think what you're saying is not only the reality, but the better way to do it of like get a little bit here and a little bit there. And, and is that kind of how you were saying it? Because I just, to me, Absolutely. I just, it, it made it easier, you know? It, it does. But I have to tell you tomorrow, you're probably like me. I'm impatient as I'll get up <laughs> and super passionate. So I'm like, come on, everyone. Can we get with the program here? So it has very much been a learned um, skill that I'm still developing where it's like, nope, you really have to get that buy-in. You kind of have to pause and take a step back. So that's something I encourage everybody listening and watching today, just take that pause, take a step back and say, okay, who do I really need to be vested in? And it's worth delaying things sometimes a little bit to get all that buying because then people are really all in and not just, oh my God, here goes Jessica with another crazy idea, which happens every day anyway, but at least it's more valid. <laughs> Do you think, I just want to stop on that for a second, because you had said like, you know, you get, it, sometimes a delay can work in your favor, right? That you get more buy-in later. I think you're absolutely right. But I just want to break that down a little bit for people who might be going, well, hold on, but delays are bad. Do you think that's because it gives them a chance to process it? Do you think, like, sometimes I feel like people say yes to me because they just don't want to deal. And then, so it's, so it's not really buy-in. It is, is pl it's placating me actually is what it is. <laughs> if I'm being honest. 
Yeah. So you're, you're right. And we are in this hurry up and rush environment. Um, my industry is no different. And there's always this like next big project, next big thing we have going on. Um, so by putting the pause and asking people to really process, and sometimes you do got to, you got to push them a little bit, you got to get them out of their comfort zone. Um, but I found that just that ends up being so much more beneficial. And again, the delay becomes so nominal on the scope of, especially if you're working on a big initiative, um, which a lot of what I do is it's, it's a big mindset change. So you need that hundred percent buy-in. So it's delicate. It's not easy. You do get pushback for sure. Um, but the pushback at the end, when they see the result, you're like, okay, it was worth it. I feel like that was, a, I mean, all those things you said, that at the end in particular about that delay actually means more like real buy-in and more buy-in on the back end is a really powerful insight. So thank you for sharing that. I want to shift gears for a minute and talk about challenges. What's a challenge you faced and how have you overcome it? Sure. So I think the biggest, most relevant challenge, and tomorrow we talked about it at our Women in Auto Care conference, would be inclusivity um, and equity in the workplace in general. Um, it is an uphill battle to really evolve generations of a mindset thought and to give each other the grace and the space to learn. Um especially in this very fast paced post pandemic world. So meeting in the middle is hard because it un it's uncomfortable. It requires courageous conversation and, and awfully you're having to, to advocate every minute of every day for how important this is to get to be a more equitable workplace. You're listening to conversations with everyday innovators on with Tamara Gondor podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff Zoe is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code Tamara. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. Will you give us an example of what, what type of courageous conversation, question, comments 
can help move people forward? Sure. So just a very recent one, um, you know, we have within within the industry, you know, the the need and the desire to have more women in the workplace. And um, you have many women in the workplace that are saying, well, it's been unfair for too long. And it's really it kind of just gets down this this um, shame and anger cycle, which is very it can be very toxic, but it's hard to get out of that. So one of the big methodologies been trying to move forward is this solution solution centered um, mindset saying, okay, you have to be okay to have these challenging conversations with people that they don't know what they don't know. Um, they think they're being equitable. And by they, I just mean the collective industry. They think they're being equitable. They think they're being um, inclusive, but they only are understanding it so far in the process. So I have been challenging women both internally and externally to say, okay, you know, there's a problem. We've been talking about it for decades, for centuries. So what are you going to do to help me fix it? Because I can't do it alone. So are you going to be part of the solution? And part of that, you brought it up earlier. One of the great things we're, we're moving forward at our company is we have some of our um, women uh, women employees here at, at levels where they are comfortable with hiring and have vetted applications before actually looking at our job postings and the resumes that come in and saying, are we being equitable and picking the best candidate for the role? Hmm, I love that. Do, do you, I'm going to make a parallel for a second with innovation, just to kind of keep the conversation. Um, you know, oftentimes I talk about how do you have a conversation with uh, legacy thinkers, right? Like how do you get people who are stuck in their ways to move forward? And one of the things I talk about it in that is, which surprises people is, first of all, have empathy for them and where they're coming from because they learned a certain way, but also they probably feel maybe not consciously, maybe subconsciously threatened and on thin ice because change is coming and change is scary. And I find that for humans, we don't fear change, but we do fear being changed. And a lot of stuff happens to us. Um, And I'm just curious, I, I would just love to hear you talk just a little bit about how you see what you're talking about with your challenge and kind of equity in the workplace, where empathy plays, because I, I personally, and you are the expert in this, but I, I think that the kind of my team versus your team is, is part of what really keeps us from moving forward in anything, actually. It absolutely does. And there's a big difference between we talk about empathy and sympathy. Um, and I think historically, the way it's kind of been approached with both the more legacy generation and newer is coming in a place of, oh, I'm sorry you were raised that way, or I'm sorry that you have a different way of, of learning or a different way of working. So empathy is, is that saying, hey, I don't really understand what you've been through and the generational differences or, or gender differences or cultural differences, but I want to learn. And that inquisitiveness and curiousness is really what can help break down barriers. And it's also letting people know that they're in a safe space to have that conversation. Um, again, think of all the times of work where our walls have to come up essentially to get our jobs done. So by being that kind of moderator and creating the space for that conversation to happen, you often find you have more in common than you do different. Um, it's been really cool to see that the bonding that's been happening with employees having these courageous conversations like, hey, you like this activity, you're passionate about this food. Um, we tend to have so much more in common than we do separately. Isn't that the truth? And I love inquisitive and curious. Like I think that crosses over, can cross over into everything in our lives. And if we had that, we'd have much better collaboration, conversation, Really, I just think life in general, because I think life is actually pretty interesting if you actually stop and look yeah. at it that way. We've made it our life's work, for lack of a better yeah. way to put it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, I, that's why I, I ask questions all day. It's like my favorite thing to do. Um, that's great. What, 
What does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator? Um, so again, that curiosity is key, but just to be passionate um, and know that you're going to have to navigate through gray areas. Corporate social responsibility for, for all its um, strategy and terms is really very much a gray area for a lot of companies and a lot of industries. So there's no one formal rule book. Um, you have to do what you feel is to be best and learn the process and really help understand, um, for me, being an everyday innovator is understanding what makes the people in the industry really tick um, and to be okay with failure, trying new things and failing. Now, I'm the most guilty of this. That's the biggest personal challenge for me. I don't like failure. Um, so learning through this process has been like me innovating myself to try and be better for the entire industry. So do you, I have two questions for you here. They're hand in hand, so I'll ask them together. Do you, do you have to love failure? And how have you flipped your mindset to at least deal with it or embrace it or love it uh, more so than before? Yeah, so I definitely deal with it. I don't embrace it yet, but that's that's on my life goal list, I would say, to be able to embrace it. Um, I really reflect back, again, those, those learned experiences that's in my innovator style of times where I failed horrifically in life. I mean, just, you know, everything blazing around me, just coming down in flames. And I thought of the growth that happened that few months after it happened or in the sport that I do, which you we've talked about a little bit. Um, in our prior conversations, when you lose a fight terribly, like, okay, well, what did I learn from that? So you tend to have those mo that most momentous growth after catastrophic failure. And so trying to take those lessons, okay, failure is uncomfortable. It feels awkward. I feel just un ugh, uneasy on the inside, but what can I learn from this too? Um, and I think that really helps with not necessarily, you don't have to embrace failure, but you can take a, take a step back and say, okay, what did I learn from here? But, you know, I got to tell you, Jessica, what you just said gives me, like, allowed me to take a deep breath because um, I don't love failure. I'm okay with it. Like, it happens all the time. And I'm, I'm, I know it's yeah. going to come, right? <laughs> so I'm not, I, but I, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever love it, but I know that it happens and, I'm, and I know it's a learning opportunity. But what you just did was shift my lens from the failure to the monumentous growth afterwards. I love the way you said that. Um, because when I look at that, I'm like, wow, how, um, how awesome was that failure experience that I got to figure this stuff out because of it. But it's just a little bit of a, like a lens, you're like shifting your camera from like right in front of you to a little bit down the path. So thank you for that. Cause I think, I think that's just a whole different way to look at it because I know that I'll never love it. When people tell me to like embrace failure, love it. I was like, meh, meh, meh. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't see that ever happening in my world. I accept it, but I don't have to love it. Yeah, we are competitive by nature too. Oh. So failing for us is like, oh, right, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, but I love I'll your shit. That, that really helps me think differently <laughs> about it. What do you do on a daily basis to stay innovative? Just keep yourself fresh and yeah, out there. Yeah. Um, again, with being passionate and I love what I do, um, I'm constantly learning, you know, outside of school, I'm involved or finishing my education. I should say, um, I am involved with several community organizations, follow different podcasts, yours as well too, um, in different, uh, videos and experts and really just try to keep my mind constantly thinking of those new ideas. Um, I also stay very physically active, uh, much like yourself as well too. Um, and that's really my whole, I grew up in a very active family. And that has been such a wonderful way to kind of help your mind just clear out when you're physically exhausted, your mind tends to clear because the whole body de-stresses after that. So I found I have my most brilliant 
uh, moments of clarity right after a really great workout. And then just curious by, you know, I'm curious by nature. And so I like to journal daily as well, too. Um, and it really kind of helps get some of that negative garbage that just tends to sit in our heads, at least out on paper. So I found those every day really kind of help keep me um, keep my focus. I have a random journal question. Do you have a digital journal or a paper journal? I'm a paper journal, even though I have atrocious handwriting. Um, my father has kept a daily logbook for most of his adult life. Um, so it's kind of our thing to do when, when we spend time together. So it's a physical one. It's got prompted questions too. I'm not somebody that can just write pages for days. It's almost like a logbook, but I found it's, it's quick. It's simple. I either do it first thing in the morning or before I go to bed at night and it's helped. So I, I love it. And I'm asking because I tried to start a digital journal and I don't find the same gratification out of doing or the same ease or getting stuff out of my head that I do when I write old school. And I think I'm going back to old school because I just, um, I'm not finding it to be the same. Maybe other people out there are very different. So I was just curious if it worked for you. I find myself, I'm guilty of this too. As soon as I open my laptop, what do I do? I'm checking my work yeah, emails. I get I'm distracted. The news. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I just need paper. <laughs> I'm online shopping. I'm, I'm doing no, everything. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's something really powerful about the hand mind connection that you don't get when you type for sure. Yeah. Um. So what's as an experiential imaginative, which so as I said in the beginning is so interesting to me because it's like this combination of tangible and like, you know, so kind of unknown, like kind of coming together. It's so interesting. You never know who's um, at the dinner table, right? What's that? <laughs> You never know who's at the dinner table, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what's a piece of advice that you have for other everyday innovators of all styles who are out there looking to innovate, influence, make an impact? So we talked about this at the imposter syndrome um, uh, presentation during the Women in Auto Care. And one of the things I really hold true to is your personal values. You have to know at your core what matters to you. And that can, once you understand that, the the sky is limitless. You can, you can drive yourself in any direction. You have that passion and curiosity because you're holding true to your core values. This is what matters to me. This is who I am. Um, so everything else, um, amazing successes or horrible failures are all part of identifying that personal value. So identifying those, holding true to those, no matter what decision or what life experience you're through really can help carry through an everyday innovator. Can you share either maybe one or two of your personal values or just how you think about crafting those? Because if I were looking at a blank piece of paper trying to create values right now, I'd be a little overwhelmed of like how I could even do that. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, the way I kind of found out is like, again, going through some of these really bad experiences or really horrible failures. What, what got me out of that really dark place? And what I found one of my core values is, is courage that just to put one foot in front of the other and try and get out of the mess that you got yourself into, whether it's professionally, personally, we've all been there. Um, so hearkening back to those experiences, or let's say a boundaryous cost, let's say your family ends up being one of your core values because you know what, everything revolves around family. I just, I, I need to be close to them. Um, I'm always sharing my most precious moments with them. Um, another one for me, my other big one is leaving a legacy. That is one of my core values. I, I have in my head every single day with the job that I do, I have to leave this better than I found it. I have to improve this industry for all. So sometimes it takes thinking of those really bad situations. When were those lines crossed that you said, nope, this is, this is important to me. This is who I am. 
and also thinking, okay, how do you want to leave it better for the next person or your family or your children? And that can kind of help shape your personal value. So pulling from a couple different things, there's a couple of really great quizzes online too. Um, I'm certainly happy to share after the fact some of the links on that, but sometimes you can do a fun little quiz, but it's finding those experiences. What, what at your core got you through that? So I really, I really like that about also looking at what are the, like you said, what are the experiences that didn't feel good yeah. and why? Because I do think you learn a lot. You learn a lot from knowing what didn't feel right inside of you for some reason or another, you know? So I love that. Jessica, this has been fantastic. I just want to take one minute before my final question. So when I, when I met you in Indianapolis, is that right? Right? Yeah. Sometimes when you travel, it's like, what city was I in? I remember the group and the people, but I'm not sure about the city. Um, uh, you talked about imposter syndrome. And um, like I said, I was fortunate enough, my flight was late and I was able later and I was able to stay and watch. And I just want to not repeat the whole thing, obviously, since we don't have an hour, but I would love to, like, if you were to sum up imposter syndrome and how to get through it in kind of a piece of advice. What would you say to people? Um, number one, the, the most important thing, like I said, during the, the presentation, and then thank you for bringing it up, is that to know you're not alone. Everyone feels that at any point in any level in their life, from CEOs to just getting into your career path, you will feel imposter syndrome. And that's not a bad thing. Is, is Imposter syndrome doesn't have to mean negativity. It means you are passionate. It means you care. It means you want mm. change. You want you want, and you want to do your best, right? Like you, you want, want the best, best in the situation. Yeah. So I think that's one key lesson. The other two is just holding true to your values and setting your boundaries to know what's going to be best for you. You are the only person that cares about yourself more than anyone else. So you got to do what's best for you. <laughs> I love, I love what you just said there. About, like, that? At the end of the, no, that was amazing. <laughs> I totally put you on the spot with that, but I just, I didn't want to do this podcast without just, just highlighting it because I thought it was a really powerful session and, and I was, yeah. And I was fascinated. So I was sitting down at a table of women and um, you know, you had to do the exercise when we were talking about when we feel it and a couple of women were talking about how they would be petrified to go on stage. I think, you know, when you are in the audience, you're listening and you're learning. And then you're also thinking, I would never get up there and do what they do. Right. Like, and, and that's valid. And right? to follow so you tomorrow. I mean, what an act to follow. I was like, I don't want to go up there after her. Talk you are, about you are, no, you are amazing. You're amazing. And, and, but, but that's imposter syndrome and I have it too. And I, so I was saying, so a woman said to me something to the effect of, yeah, like the idea of speaking in front of a group, even for a presentation is horrifying. She was, you obviously like don't have it. I was like, oh no, no. Oh no, no, we have oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I get on stage, I have it for the first three minutes. I have to get over it for the first three minutes. So, and, and she was shocked to hear that. And, um, and I think it was, to me, that moment was just a great reminder to all of us that we all have it in some way. And it just shows up, maybe it shows up differently or in different places. So maybe I'm more comfortable on stage now. I don't have it as much on stage, but I have it in other places for sure. You know, and it was just, so it was interesting to hear that conversation and to hear all these women talk about where it showed up for them. Um, and in places you would least expect it. Right. And we think, you know, imposter syndrome is limited to your professional life, but you and I both, well, sometimes it rears its ugly head the most in our personal lives and in our most intimate mm. moments. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a whole different, we have a whole nother podcast. So yeah. like, in the evening time with a cocktail, preferably for that one. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll just tell you real quickly. I did a triathlon this weekend. Uh, it was a half 
So it was a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike and 13.1 mile run. And talk about, thank you, but talk about having imposter syndrome. Like I'm out there with all these people, like they're high tech, $20,000 bikes, right? And their and their gear and like the imposter syndrome took over. I think that's why I panicked for the first t- part in the water because I was just like, I don't belong here. How could I possibly belong here? You know? Um, so I, you're right. It shows up everywhere. Jessica, but this is been it, didn't you? And you killed I did it. it. Yes. Yes. It. I killed it for me. That's what I did. I killed it for me. Um, Jessica, this has been fantastic. Thank you for the wisdom, the expertise, the um, stories. I appreciate it all. I know the audience does as well. I'm going to end on one personal note, which is what's something we'd be surprised to learn about you. Um, So I've been teaching, training and competing in martial arts for over 30 years now. And what's your, your martial arts of flavor? Um, so I do Tung Sudo and have gotten uh, in the past few years into competitive kickboxing as well. And I hold a fifth degree master black belt. Ooh, I'm not going to meet you in a dark alley. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> but oh. I've learned so much from that, that I call it a passion and a, a, a love of, of the sport. But the humility, the discipline, the people you meet, I was really helped um, shape my professional life in, in more ways than I could ever give back. So I absolutely love the sport and keep doing it. I, you learn a lot about yourself when you get punched in the face. Let's put it that way. Isn't that the truth? Because, you know, yeah. I, I used to do martial. We've talked about this offline. I That's used to right. You, you know, but, but to your point, just real quickly with um, it teaches you discipline and confidence and self-respect. I used to teach martial arts to at-risk youth, kids who are just on the edge of like going into gangs and going into jail. And it was one of the best things for them. And people would always say to me, why are you teaching them to be violent? I was like, I'm actually teaching them the opposite. Right. And some of those kids went off to college and off to, you know, do great things and have great lives. And I think it was, it's not learning how to punch. It was learning discipline and confidence for sure. Yeah. Thank so you for I'm totally that. with you. Yeah, totally. All right, Jessica, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, tomorrow. The honor has been all mine um, and looking forward to continuing this conversation. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.